0: All right, Ben, Mike, we just heard from Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, the new Vikings general manager on Thursday morning at TCO Performance Center. They rolled out the red carpet or the purple carpet, I guess I should say, to welcome him. And it's the season of hope. We're going to talk about our first impressions of uh, Kwesi and, and the direction that he's going to be taking this franchise after hearing from him. It was, uh, I think, about 35, 40 minutes Uh, on the record and then we obviously got to speak with him all of us in the media uh, a little more just to get to know you kind of stuff but uh, Ben off the top what was your first impression of hearing from him and just some of the stuff he had to say about uh, just whether about his past or the present and future of the Vikings
1: well I, I mean the biggest impression I guess is it's a it's a new approach this is completely different than anything we've seen in the last well, my entire time covering this team and and probably longer than that. Um, Kwasi Adolfo Mensa was, he was impressive. He had a lot of stories to tell. He talked a lot, fairly thoughtfully, I think, about his own educational background and what that's helped him do and some of the ways he has to kind of combat um, misconceptions or or sort of... um, predisposed notions about what that means when he's working in the NFL. Um, we didn't learn a whole lot about where they're going to go with the head coach or, you know, much in terms of concrete football stuff, but he he was certainly more, I think, engaging, more thoughtful, more, um, more of a face for that role, more of a face of the franchise type than we saw with Rick Spielman. And, I think mean, that's one of the things they wanted. They've talked so much about culture. They've talked so much about, you know, wanting people that go about this job differently. And more so than just this idea of you know, whose coaching tree or whose GM tree do you come from? It's what type of a, a leader, what type of a uh, organization are you going to put together? And I think a lot of today for him was about um kind of laying that vision out and and laying out the story of how he got to this point.
0: While the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting brighter at the Minnesota Zoo. Welcome to the second annual Nature Illuminated, presented by Wings Financial Credit Union. This narrated drive through experience will immerse you in an enchanting world of brilliant, oversized displays of your favorite zoo creatures, all illuminated in fantastical layers of light. This one-of-a-kind experience is truly wild, only at the Minnesota Zoo. December 2nd through January 16th. Reserve your tickets at mnzoo.org. Yeah, Mike, we heard from him talk about his past and kind of unconventional an orthodox path to this job. Um, but while mentioning that he thinks a lot of this stuff is, this, is similar in terms of trying to figure out bets and the best bets on Wall Street versus the best bets in the NFL and taking together data, I think he phrased it as data that's not necessarily related to each other, but related to what you're trying to figure out. A lot of intellectual. Um, stuff coming out of there and, and stuff that Ben alluded to. You might have to sell sometimes to uh, certain teams and, and coaching staffs or front offices, but I'm curious to get your thoughts when they made this hire, because we hadn't talked to you yet on the podcast about just reaction to it, and reaction to hearing from him today.
2: I think it's just, it's all very interesting. It's an interesting hire on a lot of levels. I think Ben's hundred percent, right. This is a departure, from anything we've seen with the Vikings and frankly, what we've generally seen with most NFL front offices. I mean, this is not, I think we've talked about this on past podcasts when he was at least a candidate. Like when we've talked about hires like this, it's tended to be more, you know, the NBA, uh, major league baseball that have hired these kind of the Ivy league economics background types. In fact, we have a couple of them in, in this market right now with, with Sasha Gupta in charge of the Timberwolves at this point. and, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine running the Twins, so kind of of the same mold. But that's been more more common in those sports than it has been the NFL. And maybe that's I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because of there's a little bit of an older guard mentality to the NFL. Maybe some of these advanced you know numbers, metrics, analytics, however you want to call it, um, maybe they translate better to some other sports. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but the NFL hasn't come to this point where the top person in charge in a lot of these places is coming from that background so that's that part of it is fascinating to me we don't really know how he's going to run things but one thing i did glean from today and just listening to some of his past comments is he has a a very good ability to put things into a plainer speak than someone who you know someone of his educational background obviously he's from princeton stanford and we we associate that with you know high intellectualism and he's definitely Uh, very smart, but he also has a way of communicating these things in very straightforward, conversational ways, and I think that's going to be very important for him as he goes forward, not only in his messaging to the media, but in his messaging to players, and his messaging to whoever he hires as head coach, and his messaging to other people in that building, that all they're really trying to do is find the best information possible to make the best decisions, and if you frame it that way, it's a lot less scary than when you say analytics.
1: Um. Do do you guys want my rants on this now or do you want me yes. to say this?
2: Always. Okay. I always want your rant now. Rant, Okay. Now.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a dumb question. It's a rhetorical question. Rant now better than rant later. Uh, much like a finance term as we put all this together. Cash now is better than cash later. Um, the rest of the world makes decisions based on data. Everything that we do is being probably almost excessively so tracked and quantified to help businesses make more effective decisions about how they are going to do things. It is asinine to think that doing this in sports is a bad idea. And it speaks completely to this culture that exists, especially in the NFL, that probably needs to go away because a lot of it has propped up the same way of thinking that hasn't been all that effective at times for a long time and has kept a lot of people in jobs for a long time that haven't had to be terribly successful to keep those jobs. There are a lot of football people that know a lot about the game um, and they deserve to keep their jobs for those reasons. I'm, I'm not saying that you just get rid of everything that's been done, but there is sort of a prejudicial approach to this is the way we do it. and this is the only way because nothing else can sort of come in and be as effective as the way we've done it in the past. The results don't bear that out. People are not hitting on 75% of their draft picks or even 50% of their draft picks. This idea of a, a, a scout's way of doing things is the only way to do it. And it's the best way and, and nothing else can be part of the mix has not been borne out by the results. You certainly need good scouts. You need people that can look at players and project what they can become at the next level. But to to think that this is the only way does not come from results. It does not come necessarily from anything that's borne out by the facts. It is from probably trying to protect an old way of doing things and protect yourself. And every other business in the world would look at this and say, if this isn't working, why are we continuing to do it? So this, this thing that's going to happen, and the way this is going to get talked about, frankly, in our business, is it, it needs to get better because we're going to have a lot of people talking about oh, analytics and, and kind of throwing the term around. You have a lot of journalists who don't come from a math background. Let's just call this what it is. There are a lot of us that are not from that world and are not comfortable in that world and are going to talk derisively about it because it's unfamiliar it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It means that maybe the rest of the the ecosystem in football and how we talk about these things needs to adapt. You've seen it happen in baseball, largely to great effect. And I think a lot of those things in baseball are more quantifiable because it's me against you. It's a batter and a pitcher. Everything is, has an outcome. It's binary in a lot of ways. You don't have, well, whose fault was it? You know, what happened in this contextual part of a play basketball, you can do it I think in some ways because you have the other thing is you have so many more samples when an 82 game season, or 162 games, but the point they made. And I think the point that Andrew Miller has made when he talked about this and Andrew Miller certainly is a big part of why Kwesi Adolfo Metsa is here, but it's another way to get information and you should not for all of the talk we hear about leave no stone unturned and let's analyze everything for the 50,000th time and, and work 18 hours a day to say that, oh, this this thing that could give us an advantage is stupid because we're unfamiliar with it, like, get better. I just, the, the way that we talk about this stuff, the way we have, the way we're probably going to con- continue to see it talked about, it's just outdated, and we need to probably be more open-minded and more willing to evolve ourselves along these lines. There's my rant.
0: Amen. Well, that's certainly going to fall well on Mike Zimmer's ears back at the ranch. Um, I, I don't... <laughs> Mike Zimmer and I probably aren't going to be in each other's Christmas card lists, I don't think. I, I do think that um, yeah, that's that's an important message, especially in football, because that is the sport in the league that is dragged behind the, the longest when it comes to this stuff. It is obviously the one where the pushback, and I think I've seen Quasi quoted talking about this before, is that it's always been, well, there's just more unknowns, there's more moving pieces in football. It's not like baseball where everything can be quantified all the time. And some of that's and true. With- With tracking data, though, that stuff is becoming, those those gray areas, those uh, blind spots are becoming less and less and less, and you're seeing teams embrace that stuff more, and it's starting even at the college level with a lot of this stuff, and it's starting with coaches at the college level who embrace it and who are more players coaches who may coach hard, but they treat their players well on the same side, and so it's funny how that stuff is kind of permeating to the NFL almost because you're seeing it like in this copycat league when it works in instances, and you go, hmm. You know, going for it on fourth down sometimes tends to work out, even if Brandon Staley didn't always have that work out for him in L.A. You might see over the long run that working out because that's how the probabilities work out in those instances. So I I, I think it's interesting to see it. It's going to be interesting to see how it gets reacted to here in Minnesota. But I think the most interesting part, Ben, you alluded to this, is how it's going to be received internally. And I, I do wonder, they kept a lot of the coaching staff, at least for now, Um, that were under contract and the same with the the scouting staff in place. The biggest question for Kwesi is that because he doesn't have that traditional background, that traditional, you know, on the road at colleges, scouting players, looking at a guy in Oklahoma on a Friday when, you know, nobody else wants to be there. um, Who's going to do that for him in this organization is you said, basically last night, it's probably going to be the same people that have already been there you anticipate them bringing anybody else in to help kind of change this mentality uh, from the top down?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think over time you'll see that. And you're probably going to see them build up their football research department a little bit more. I, I think an assistant general manager certainly sounds like something that could be in play, somebody else to come in and, and kind of work alongside Adolfo Menta in the front office. But the scouts for now are going to stay in place. And, and I don't, I don't look at their scouts necessarily as the source of, the kind of um, anti-data mindset that you might see. I mean, you know, you see this from probably a lot of people and tends to be people that have been in the business for an awfully long time that are not um, as receptive to data being part of the the decision-making process. I I think you're going to have to figure that out a little bit. And he alluded to it today, that the anecdote he gave about, uh, standing up in a meeting with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, uh, saying um, you had to get her up and introduce yourself, and he said, "I I don't know what analytics is," and he said, "I think I might have laid an expletive in there so I could be extra football guy." Um, he understands, I think, that he is going to have to build bridges with people that look at him and look at the world he's coming from and either see it as being a threat or um, not as good as the way they've done it in the past. And, and I think, you know, you know, I go back to, we were just talking about this before we started recording about two years, well, a year and a half ago, when Rick Spielman got his contract extension um, Mike Zimmer got asked about it in training camp. And he said um, the highest compliment you can give a general manager is that he's a football guy. So the term football guy means for the, for the uninitiated, you have been raised in football you have been a coach, you have been a scout um you have done all of these things for a long time and and you have I think coaches on that staff that embrace analytics and use data to make decisions along with what their eye is telling them and, and what they're observing from their players on a uh, a less quantifiable level. but yeah, I think you're going to have some people that you have to kind of uh, reach out to and and say this this is not here to replace you this is to augment what you are already doing well and let's use all of it together to get to a better place.
0: I think that's going to be his challenge going forward. I think he knows that. Yeah, Mike, that's not to say that that's unique, I guess, for the Vikings, because any organization that tries to um, be more open-minded and forward-thinking like that, you're going to have to, um, you know, try to get everybody on board with it. I think I've read stuff out of Philadelphia and the Eagles organization where their owner um, is, he was quoted after their Super Bowl win of being like, establishing the runs of myth. And so ever since then, you've had to have every coach that comes along has to be okay with that line of thinking. Um, but that hasn't come without some kind of friction internally with certain decision-making um, guided by that numbers as opposed to the gut or the feel that everybody likes to talk about. So Mike, what do you think just in terms of where this organization is at in that sea that chain?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, again, that it's it's fascinating. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be some some push-pull, I'm sure. It's going to have you know, I think, and I think Ben alluded to this too. It's like, it's not like I've never heard someone who comes from this background come in and say, this is the only thing we use to make a decision. it's, It's always an idea of this is a piece of it. This is, we want to gather as much information as possible to make as informed a decision as possible when it comes time to make that decision. And, you know, how that plays out for a general manager is certainly different than how it plays out for, you know, a coach in real time on game day, when you've got 10 seconds or Two seconds to make a decision. Sometimes you know, these are, this is a seat where you can be a little bit more pensive, be a little bit more deliberate in your thinking, and you know, kind of strategically plan in that way. Uh, but it's going to play out in so many fascinating ways. I mean, this is a roster that's in very much in flux. So you've got, we've talked about the salary cap stuff. We've talked about Kirk Cousins. There's eighteen thousand different ways to evaluate Kirk Cousins and how you how you think about them, what you want to think about and what the numbers tell you about them. Um, there's a lot of other players on this roster who you, know, you could argue um, the value might be different based on how you think about them. So that, to me, um, will be where we really see um, some of that thinking come to light and maybe some of that push-pull really come to bear is you know, when you see you know, scouts or other people in this organization who have been there when these, when these players were brought in and saying, well, whoa, we're, we're not valuing this anymore. We're not doing that anymore. And, you know, that to me is where we're going to really see him make his mark initially, at least is, is what kind of roster decisions do they make this off season?
0: One of the biggest changes I think you could tell right off the top is just this is person ability, his ability to relate and and seem at least sincere and be really engaging in his conversation. And Ben, we heard him say that he's already going to start reaching out to current players for the Vikings, reach out to their leadership council this off season, start talking to them about what they want to see and asking them questions. Um, I thought that was an interesting comment to say in her introductory press conference, considering what he's taking over for.
1: Uh, are you referring to the last thing we heard Brian O'Neill say? And
0: Eric
2: Hendricks. Yeah. Kendrick's well, the O'Neill too. one
1: I'm, I'm referring to specifically uh, related to the front office, because I think that was where that comment came from about, um, people walking by and not even saying hello. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of that stuff was, I mean, the, the fear-based stuff I think was alluding to Mike Zimmer. The, um, I don't have much of a relationship with this person because I haven't really talked to them much it was probably more in the Rick Spielman department. So yes, I, I think there is going to be less of the um, I'm, I'm in this role. You're in this role. Never the twain shall meet. Um, probably helps too, I suppose that it's your the age difference isn't so big. I mean, he's 40 years old. You have players that are 10, 12, or less years younger than that that are at the top of the rosters. So that may lead to a little bit more of a relationship than we've seen in the past. And I, I think that's just gonna be part of it. I mean, you you know, millennials, Gen Z. Um, I think I'm technically a millennial. I'm a i am think I'm a zennial technically or something, but um, don't use that geriatric millennial term. I hate that one. Well, <laughs> zennial good. I like that one. Um, I
0: haven't heard that before. Geriatric
1: millennium—that's th- what they started calling us. So I'm in that like little slice between Gen X and millennials. Actually, I think we were millennial because I graduated 2001, so right at the beginning of millennium, we were kind of that. But before like everybody else kind of came along and started selfieing everything, and we were like, no, that's not really this slice of things so that's sort of like 77 to 83 birth gets called zennial but then yeah somebody started calling it geriatric millennials so I'm not that old i'm still in my 30s for a few more months <laughs> um so let me have it just let me let me enjoy my relative youth for a little bit longer anyway no one cares um The younger cohort, I think that the ability to connect and the ability to feel like you have some kind of a relationship with the people who are managing you is a lot more important. Yes. And I
0: think that's going to be reflected probably in how they go forward. And it'll be interesting to see how they go forward now with this head coaching search, because there are three candidates, at least left, that are still coaching in these games. Raheem Morris, the Rams defensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive coordinator, and D'Amico Ryans, the 49ers defensive coordinator. Two of them, obviously, and O'Connell and Ryans have direct ties to previously working with Kwesi in San Francisco. And at least one of them will not be coaching after Sunday. And yeah, correct, because they're playing each other um, or coaching each other. So, but either way, they'll get to talk to them afterward, regardless, because I believe coaching candidates on Super Bowl teams are able to talk in that bye week yep. um, right before. So, regardless, they can talk to those guys after Sunday. If one of them is the preferred candidate, they got to wait until then. So, be patient, Vikings fans. Be patient. Um, on that note, we can open up the mailbag, get to some questions here because we got a lot of them. We did not do a mailbag yesterday. Um, first of all, Thomas wants to know, did Ben go to Omni Vikings Lake and order the walleye and chips at the bar while spying on the Wilfs and Quasi?
1: Uh, I did go to the Omni. (laughs) I didn't make it there soon enough really to do, I, they, some of this, like, this is harder now because it was okay. They used to just go to Manny's used to be very easy. Um, I went to Manny's to check it out. The guy at the front almost seemed kind of sad, but they don't come there very much anymore. Um, so I did drive out to the Omni Viking Lakes. Um, I don't, it's not like that fancy of a restaurant in there though. That's like a $12 a plate, you know, burger and sandwich kind of thing. Um, it didn't seem like a super fancy spot. So they had like a, a tent in the back too. I'm not sure if that's what they would have gone with, but by the time I got there, it was about ready to close. So I was like, ah, I'm probably not gonna barge in here now and, and you know, blow my cover, which I guess I'm doing now by talking about it. But I did go check it out. One of the things I I want to do here between now and when they start talking to coaches is maybe go in there for a for a bite to eat, maybe an appetizer, and just kind of see what it's like in there. See if there's any places to uh, you know just hang out and and uh, observe the scene. Uh, you know, that's what you want to do in a restaurant. You just want to people watch. So just I'm curious to see with our local uh, dining establishment if that's. Something we
0: can do, just just blend in, observe observe the scene yeah. as you said. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, all right, Derek wants to know. It is apparent from the press conference that we're going to be looking for a coach with a good experience and a vision that aligns with Quays. Uh, Who do you think that is? So, branching off our conversation on the coaching staff, Mike. Let me start with you, though. Who do you you had your druthers? Who would be the Minnesota Vikings head coach?
2: Who would it be? I mean, yep. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. I don't even know if there's a front runner in my mind right now from what they're looking at. I mean, I think the 49ers offensive coordinator is interesting to me at this point as someone who might align with kind of what they're looking for. And I was talking to Mark Craig for um, daily delivery podcast that will run on Friday. And he seems to think that, um, uh, that uh, Gannon, the, defensive guy from philadelphia is a name to watch someone who you know embraces a lot of the same things that adolfo mensa is uh is embracing that that could be interesting i mean i think i i think we're we're talking more about a type than a specific person at this point i do keep circling back on raheem morris saying stats are for losers about four months ago and wondering you know what exactly he meant by that and whether, whether that's a disqualifying statement or not, you know, it's just, it's interesting to to think about that.
0: Yeah. I was, I was digging into that more so because he's been asked about that a lot, obviously, yes. his, you know, data-driven and evidence-based um, kind of formulations grow in the NFL. Um, Raheem Morris uh, has explained it as saying his saying is, stats are for losers and that he wants players to create mad plays M a D and make a difference, make a difference. He's explained it as ways of saying that, you know, winning is the only thing that matters Your individual numbers don't. So I do see it as how he could convince a front office that, no, I'm cool with all of this behind the scenes, but how I'm going to talk to my players is not to care about your individual sack numbers or receiving yards or whatever that might change with Justin Jefferson, potentially chasing a single season record again, if that were to be the case, but um, I, I, do wonder if you can get him in a room and, and ask him really what he thinks about it as, as ownership, um, how confident you'll feel in his answer, I guess, just with that history, certainly. Um, cause you know, that Quasey would know D'Amico Ryans, you know, Quasey would know Kevin O'Connell. Um, I, I do think that you need somebody who's got that kind of openness, or at least has come from an organization where you already have had to deal with it. And I think that's why Mark has brought up Jonathan Gannon, not only, Mark also knows that they really like Jonathan Gannon here for, for four years. Um, they know then that he would have some some acumen as far as a defensive X's and O's coach because he was here in 2014 through 2017, and he was a good people person. He was really good with players. I think he's the kind of collaborator that, that they're looking for. The question is, he's so young. He's coming up one year as a defensive coordinator, He's almost on the same track as Kwesi, where it's like, is it a little too early for this? Maybe, but you know what? You're going to take that chance if you're going with him. Um, I do wonder if they'll go the opposite, though, and, and kind of steer toward more of an experienced head coach, regardless if it's offensive or defensive, um, because of that inexperience in the front office right now. It'll be interesting to see which direction they go. But, Mike, when we started this search, when the Will started the search, I think everybody thought it's got to be an offensive guy, right? I found it interesting. Rick Spielman was on Fox Sports Radio the other day, and he was asked about coaching searches. He has yet to be asked about much of anything from the Vikings, which must be a contingent on going on such interviews, Yes, but but he was asked about the hiring cycle. And he said the number one priority for an owner in this NFL hiring cycle should be making sure that head coach can get along with that quarterback. And he had said basically that, I don't know if a defensive coach can do that. He said, you know, an offensive coach can, because that's his job can a defensive head coach do that? So I thought that was interesting. And obviously read between the lines is all about Mike Zimmer and Kirk cousins in terms of Rick's experience. But what do you think in terms of the Vikings direction on offensive or defensive head coach?
2: Yeah. I mean, I thought that was the conventional wisdom going in too. but maybe it's, maybe it's less that and more, you know, more kind of fitting the mold of style of coach in terms of younger coach, in terms of, you know, more of a, again, this collaborator and this ability to get along with players, maybe that's more important than offense and defense. And if we're being honest with the Zimmer era too, I think that his relationships with the quarterback were a, a, a big part of, you know, especially with cousins, a big part of what went wrong. But I also think that could have been mitigated if they would have had if you would have had better relationships and maybe a little bit better luck with his offensive coordinators, like if you find the right offensive coordinator after you've hired a defensive coach, I mean, a you're in danger of that guy le- leaving quickly to become a head coach, but you're also you know, a lot of the, the deficiencies you might have as a communicator, as a offensive, you know, as someone who's having that direct line to the quarterback might be smoothed out by the fact that you have someone who is is more in that role, and I don't I just don't think Zimmer ever consistently had that because he never had the same offensive coordinator for the last six years. Yeah, Ben, I asked
0: asked Mike about going into the search. I think we kind of thought or the general thinking was you got to get an offensive guy after Mike Zimmer and make sure he can connect with players, specifically uh, guys like Justin Jefferson or your next quarterback, yeah. whoever that is. What do you think about that in terms of Clearly the Wilfs and their candidate list does not say we need to go offensive head, head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I had to go uh, deal with a mouse. <laughs> our, oh, our cats have gotten very
1: good at, at finding uh, mice that are somewhere in, in here. So um, they, they seem to find them and then they don't quite finish the job. So um, I, I, in my sort of uh maybe maybe i'd fit in this culture i i, I trap them and then i go release. I, I do a catch and release i go release them outside and put them in the garage They're a little warmer but it's like hey you're you're free to fend for yourself i'm not like gonna you just prop you up for success you but, can't um, stay
2: here you can't stay here though
1: you don't have to go home but you can't stay here to quote a, a song about childbirth everybody's confused that song <laughs> is about dan wilson having a baby and he wrote it to make it sound like it was a bar so that his buddies in Semisonic wouldn't think it was uh a cheesy song about him becoming a dad. Look it up. as your uh, and a that. band
0: trivia for the day? But yeah, look it up. Anyway, um, I had no idea. Um, yeah, I had no idea. I can't. Every I don't know new whether beginning
1: to... come from some other beginning's end.
0: Yeah. Okay. I don't know I... whether to ask more about that. Your cat's, your cat's inability to kill mice or go back to the original question, which was what do you think about the Vikings hiring potentially an offensive coach? But Mike, sorry I'm, to cut you. Off. I'm going to address all three of these
1: um, <laughs> and uh, doesn't really finish it. Um, yes. The semi-sonic thing is real. And then the, the football side of things, what was I supposed to answer?
2: <laughs> uh, the conventional wisdom was that ah, they yes. would hire, you know, offensive guy because they just got a defensive guy what you know and is that really where we're going now
1: yeah sorry it's been a busy 10 minutes here um with the mice thing but uh I, yeah i don't think that is where they're going i don't think they have sort of penciled themselves into this lane of we have to get an offensive guy because we didn't have one before i, I think it's very much about this and people are going to roll their eyes at it, but this idea of culture this idea of What type of an organization do we want to have? And it's is—it's really, really interesting to keep hearing this theme over and over. And every time you talk to somebody, it's like, yeah, this really was needed this badly to to change it up. Um, There really was a lot of that stuff where people just were feeling tense and people were feeling um, kind of on edge all the time, like we talked about in, in the big story we had a couple of weeks ago. Um, th- there was a lot of that going on towards the end, and I just think it-, it was affecting the way people kind of did their jobs probably more than we realize, and, and the things that you're seeing now and-, and the changes that you're seeing talked about now are probably a reflection of that as much as-, as anything else. So, yeah, I don't think they are sitting here saying we have to go hire the best offensive coordinator available. You have to have somebody that is going to have a plan that is going to uh, address the big decisions you have to make on that side of the ball, but I don't know that they are going to sit there and say, we, we have to go get um, the top offensive coordinator that's left on our list simply because we think he's got the, the best game plan for modernizing the offense. I think it's going to be much more about who is going to be able to lead the organization the way that we want it done. And then as part of that is figuring out how to, run an offense. So if that person is on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think that's going to stop them from
0: hiring them. It just makes offensive coordinator. One of the biggest hires, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. uh, Real quick on that front. I mean, you see so many times where it's
1: we let's go get the offensive coach. And then you have a lot of times where the offensive coach says, what I, calling the plays is too much work. I mean, you, you've seen Mike McCarthy, I think struggle with that over the years. I think Matt LaFleur has, I think, I think is still calling plays, but his, probably I think talked about, should I be doing that or, or not? And you have some offensive coaches that have said, I'm not going to call plays. So uh, it's not just about what you do on Sunday. A lot of it is game planning during the week. A lot of it is the philosophy you have, but this idea that if your head coach comes from that side of the ball, all of your problems are fixed is not always true because a head coach has a lot of other things to deal with. And if we saw anything from Mike Zimmer, it's that the specialty on one side of the ball to the detriment of everything else is not always a good thing.
0: I think Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, Jim or John Harbaugh, there have been there have been some non offensive coaches that have figured mm-hmm. it out. Pete hey, yeah. Carroll,
2: hey, I might. Have to, if I can close the loop on semi sonic, Ben, um, that's what I was going to say a minute ago. I don't. Oh. We, this is this is not the semi sonic podcast, but I we, they were doing an and this was doing a show like maybe five years ago that my wife and I went to, I think it was, it was our anniversary. We went to it. It was at first Ave. they were doing playing the, basically their first, um, first CD, first album, whatever we're going to call it front to back. Feeling um, strangely
1: fine. Is that the first
2: one? I think so. Or great divide. I'm not sure which one was okay. first. Anyway, whatever the first one was, they played it front to back. It was really good. It was, a, I, I like a lot of those songs. I had it back in the day. So we went, we enjoyed it and they come out for the encore and everyone's expecting them to play closing time because that's a great encore song, but they play the first song from that first CD. A second time. And everyone's like, why didn't you play Closing Time? Well, it's because they were only playing the songs from the first CD and Closing Time is on the second CD. Uh, and like multiple people multiple people asked me, like, why didn't they play it? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just here to watch the show. Like, stop asking me that question. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. They did not play Closing Time despite everyone wanting to hear that song because, you know, people think it's a bar closing song, but apparently it's about childbirth.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's about, I think, both in some ways. He, he, so this is from the authoritative source on this, Wikipedia. Um, which I think quotes interviews that he has given about the song. He said his girlfriend was pregnant at the time, and though he did not set out consciously to write a song about giving birth, he has stated that partway partway into the writing of the song, I realized it was also about being born.
2: Okay. So it's both. Yeah, Get yourself a song that can do both. Okay, let's do some more questions.
0: Ben Olson wants to know, do you think Queasy keeps any existing coaches around? And I guess I would just start off the response to that by saying that depends on the new head coach, right, Ben?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I mean, I, I think you're going to have a lot of coaches that probably by that point are, are looking for other things. I know some coaches have already started looking for other things. But, yeah, some of it is going to be figuring out who fits on the new staff. Um, I think you could have I – mean, Ryan Ficken, I think, it's going to be an interesting one. I, their special teams was an awful lot better this year than it has been in the last few. Um, I mean, Greg Joseph with one – Notable exception, kicked pretty well. Uh, Kenny Wongu looks like a find as a kick returner, And I thought Jordan Berry was better um, than some of the punting they've had in the past few years. So I, I wonder if he'll stay. Um, I think your defensive staff will probably be completely new or almost completely new. I, I think you probably see quite a bit of turnover there. Um, and then the offensive staff, I'm, I'm curious to see. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen both came out this week and said Keenan McArdle should stay as the wide receivers coach. I, I could see that. I could see um, Andrew Janoco is, is fairly well liked in that building and is one of the coaches on this staff that, you know, kind of comes from the the quote unquote football guy background, but also has embraced analytics and, and has embraced some of a, a different thought process of these things. So I, I could see a few of these coaches being in the mix to stay around, but uh, it is going to depend on the coach. It's going to depend on,
0: who they want to bring in and what their philosophy is probably more so than anything we know at this point. This isn't the the hot take Vikings podcast. This isn't where you're going. If you're looking to just get your face blown off and your eyebrows singed with, with our opinions. However, if Justin Jefferson has already come out and we said, we did blow some minds with that
1: semi-sonic bit though. We yeah. did.
0: Yeah, we did. You're right. Broke some news. Or you right guys too. did. I should say. Yeah. Who um, doesn't know the song. No, no, I know the song. I've been in enough That's bars at 2am. What are you talking about? It's played at every bar ever. Okay. Se- secondly, secondly, what I what I wanted to get to was if Justin Jefferson has already come out and said Keenan McCardell should stay, I feel like the that should be atop the list and an easy one to cross off for the new head coach of who's my wide receivers coach.
1: It's a fairly small olive branch, you know, like a like a seventeen yard
2: long olive branch. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say. You didn't say the name Andre Patterson. Is that not happening? I mean, I feel like he's got a lot of if there's if there's ever another guy who a lot of the guys in the room would want to keep. I feel like he's one of them.
1: Yeah, he is. I'm just curious to see how that'll go. I mean, I I think he has been interested in staying. I think certainly has a lot of respect in the organization, has a lot of respect in the locker room. My question will be, um, especially if it's a defensive coach, how much does the kind of association with Mike Zimmer slash the, the desire that a new person might have to, kind of step away from that, um, how much will that dictate the decision there? I, I think there's certainly, and he's worked for a lot of coaches. I think there's certainly uh, validity to the idea of keeping him in the mix and, and keeping him as a big part of it. But um, I'm curious to see how that decision would play out just because it would be, um, I, you'd have to sit down and, and probably figure some things out there and, and try to figure out how that's going to work if, uh, if he's going to stay. I, I certainly think it's something to consider just because of the, sort of collateral he has built up with players and, and, uh, really has built up with a lot of the organization.
0: All right, let's move on to a couple more questions here. We got a few minutes before we got to wrap up. Um, Nick wants to know, he said, I thought the answer to the 53 man roster answer question was really interesting. Ben, I think you had asked that. And he basically said, basically deferred comment and said, it's going to be collective, collectively decided on the 53, but you had asked him directly and about, uh, do you have that kind of control? Is that yeah. right? Yep. Yep.
1: Do, does your contract basically say that you have the full control of 53 like Rick Spielman did was my question. And um, he said, I know what my contract says. I don't really want to speak about it in this forum. A, a coach that I would want to hire would be a coach that I'd want to work for, I think is how he put it. And um, it doesn't really matter because we will try to work together and have a, a good partnership i i think i i'm parsing a little bit here but i took that answer to say like yeah i i have the final say but i'm not feeling like i need to come out and flex about it especially when i don't have a coach in place yet it, it i see why he would not see any value in answering that question because coming out and telling a coach uh, no let's listen buddy i've got the final say um <laughs> it's not a, a great probably uh, job pitch for somebody who's coming in that's brand new that might want to have a, a chance to put a staple on, or uh, put a stamp, I guess I should say, different uh, thing you could buy at Office Depot, um, put a stamp on how they're going to do things. So yeah, I think it'll be probably more collaborative to use the buzzword than it's been. But um, yeah, I, my my gut would be that he does have the, the final say when one needs to be said when they when there needs a decision that needs to be made i think it will be ultimately his to make
0: yeah that answer i thought was another interesting nuance of the whole collaboration thing and the personability that that goes into what people talk about with kwacy and clearly why the vikings felt like they should hire him after uh, meeting him or the second day i should say after meeting him Um, vikes fan eric vikes fan wants to know with the gm position now filled do we have a better idea based off of the mindset of Quasi whether or not a Kirk cousins trade is more or less likely? What do you guys think?
2: I don't think we know that yet. Um, based on where it's still pretty early. I mean, are you thinking about places he's worked before? It doesn't even give you a whole lot of answers. I mean, San Francisco, they've got Garoppolo who they, you know, is a little bit like Kirk cousins and that he has a, he had a decent sized contract, and but wasn't the kind of, you know, star going to win you a game kind of quarterback in Cleveland. They obviously drafted Baker Mayfield, although that was before he would have gotten there. Correct, that would have been a little bit sooner than he was. Yeah, sooner than he was there. Um, so I think I would imagine a lot of that sort of stuff will kind of come out as we. It it probably won't come out in bold proclamations of this is how I want to do things. It'll come out more. As we see the decisions that he ultimately makes and they ultimately make, um, I would imagine though that anybody who's got you know a certain you know bent towards gathering information and in judging relative value and doesn't isn't you know tied to Kirk Cousins in any way, it's, it's a fresh set of eyes at least that makes me think a trade is reasonably likely he's not going to come in and say, well, this guy can win me nine football games next year. Why would I want to trade him? He's going to take kind of a bigger picture look at what's the value in a trade? What's the value in doing this now versus later kind of thing?
1: It is interesting that the two places he's worked would be two places where you could call up a lot of people and say, tell me what you think of Kirk Cousins. I mean, the time he has spent in these organizations has been with Kyle Shanahan And Kevin Stefanski. So he will not have to look far into his speed dial list, which is also not a thing that you do anymore. Um, In his contacts and his phone, he he won't have to look far. Just, I suppose, the K section, Kyle and Kevin can tell him a lot about Kirk Cousins. Another K, I suppose. Man, it's like a Kubiak family reunion in here. Um, You are, yeah, I think he'll have the ability fairly quickly to get an honest sense of what cousins can do um, what he can't do and perhaps teams that have looked at him and valued him in the past certainly Kyle Shanahan has uh, has been through that decision-making process thinking that he may end up with Kirk Cousins in San Francisco at some point so um, even though he has not spent time with Kirk Cousins yet I don't think he'll have to reach very far to get an informed opinion on cousins. The, the tricky thing with cousins is that a lot of the advanced statistics and a lot of the numbers in general, you could make a case that you could keep him. I mean, there's a lot of things that, and there's people that feel like he's kind of hacked the, the system that he's hacked some of the advanced stats in the way that he plays and he doesn't take risks. So he gets rewarded in some of those things, but um, I, you could see that. I, I think ultimately the, the big question is going to be, how do we want to be set up with the salary cap in the next few years? And the the easiest, quickest way to fix some of that is to trade him. And uh, if that ultimately is where they want to go, then there's not really much of a way out of the box, unless he wants to do an extension or give some money back.
0: That'll be interesting to watch, certainly, as the Vikings press forward with this coaching search, and then because uh, that's going to be the big domino, right, Ben? Yeah. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if it is an offensive guy like Kevin O'Connell, who was Kirk Cousins' quarterbacks coach in Washington in 2017. Man, oh man, he's—I'll yeah, yeah. say this—he's Kirk Cousins has quite the uh, the coaching tree. I mean, he wasn't talking about coaching trees. This is pretty good. Well, it's Washington's, right? It's it's. Yeah. I, mean, I, I well, guess yes. if you're, I guess if you're connecting them to Stefanski somehow, but like it's basically Washington where it's it's been yeah. that McVeigh. Kyle Shanahan, Lafleur, floor, um, just everybody that kind of rolled out of that, that quarterback and OC room over the tens, the decade. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Through
1: the Shanahan yeah. thing, but yes. Yeah.
0: Um, but anyway. Yeah. So he's Kevin O'Connell has the tie to Kirk. If he likes him a lot, maybe, maybe he doesn't end up getting dealt in 2022. Who knows what happens, but we'll have plenty more chances to discuss that. Um, we will have more podcasts probably next week. And as this coaching search plugs along, please check out all of our work at startribune.com.